This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, August 26th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Virginia Allen. Andrew Cuomo resigned as New York governor to avoid being impeached. However, 15 U.S. governors have been impeached in the past, and of those, eight were removed from office. On today's show, The Daily Signal's Fred Lucas and Jarrett Stepman discuss the history of impeaching governors in America. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. And now, on to today's top news. With just five days left until the formal withdrawal date for U.S. forces in Afghanistan, efforts continue to ensure no Americans or local allies are left stranded in the country. During a press conference on Wednesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken gave an update on America's evacuation efforts, stating that the U.S. military and allies have evacuated around 4,500 American passport holders so far. Blinken also attempted to justify the uncertainty surrounding the exact numbers of Americans still stranded in Afghanistan, saying that Americans are not required to report their location to the government. The Biden administration has come under fire for being unable to provide precise statistics on the amount of Americans trapped abroad. Here's some of Blinken's statements via Reuters. It's hard to overstate the complexity and the danger of this effort. We're operating in a hostile environment in a city and country now controlled by the Taliban with the very real possibility of an ISIS-K attack. We're taking every precaution But this is very high risk. As the president said yesterday, we're on track to complete our mission by August 31st, provided the Taliban continue to cooperate and there are no disruptions to this effort. Major General Hank Taylor, the vice director for logistics of the Joint Staff, said per CNN, 88,000 people have been evacuated from Afghanistan and a plane departed Kabul airport every 39 minutes on Tuesday for a total of 90 flights. The general also added that there are more than 10,000 people waiting at the airport for evacuation. The updated statistics on evacuations come as U.S. troops begin leaving Afghanistan in anticipation for the August 31st withdrawal deadline. Despite pressure from both G7 allies and bipartisan U.S. officials, President Joe Biden has declined to extend that deadline. A Supreme Court ruling has reinstated tighter controls over immigration at our southern border. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled to reinstate a Trump air policy that requires migrants on the southern border to remain in Mexico while their asylum claims are processed. The Trump administration put the remain in Mexico policy in place in an effort to stop what is referred to as catch and release. Under catch and release, asylum seekers are given a court date, often months or even years in the future, but then released into America. The problem was many of the asylum seekers never returned for their hearings. So in 2019, Trump instituted the Remain in Mexico policy. But President Joe Biden ended the policy when he took office, meaning that once again, thousands of asylum seekers were entering America but never showing up for their hearings. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court ruled to uphold a fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals order to reinstate the Trump air policy. The three more left-leaning justices, Justice Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer, dissented. 
Delta Airlines announced on Wednesday that starting November 1st, it would begin charging unvaccinated employees using the employee health insurance plan an extra $200 per month in a bid to get more staff fully vaccinated. The airline claims the extra fee is meant to pay for additional medical costs and hospital bills from COVID-19. In a memo released company-wide, Delta CEO Ed Bastian wrote, quote, The average hospital stay for COVID-19 has cost Delta $50,000 per person. This surcharge will be necessary to address the financial risk the decision not to vaccinate is creating for our company. In addition to the increased health care fees, the airline is ending COVID-19-related pay protections, as well as requiring weekly COVID-19 tests for those who haven't taken the vaccine. All employees will be required to wear masks inside, regardless of vaccination status. Unlike rival business United Airlines, Delta has not instituted a vaccine mandate for current employees, though new employees will be required to be vaccinated. Now stay tuned for Fred Lucas and Jarrett Stepman's discussion on the history of impeaching governors in America. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jarrett Stepman. I'm joined by Fred Lucas. We're both of the Daily Signal. And we're on to talk about a somewhat pertinent issue, uh, a tale of governors in American history uh, who've been impeached, actually. And there have been quite a few. Fred uh, has a great piece in the Daily Signal about a history of impeached governors, which is a fairly lengthy list of, uh, I would say, interesting characters. Fred, <laughs> definitely some interesting stories here. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear some stories uh, about about these governors. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there. There were actually I, we we almost saw an, a gubernatorial impeachment uh, that was um, stopped when uh, Governor Cuomo in New York resigned uh, to avoid being impeached and probably almost certainly removed. Uh, in a Senate trial, had, had he been impeached, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, he could have he avoided joining a uh, fairly exclusive club. But but there are a good number. There were 15 governors total who were impeached, uh, and um, many of them were uh, eight of them were removed from office uh, over uh, since the nations uh, began. Uh, interestingly enough, the First governors of both Kansas and Nebraska, after they became states, were impeached, and uh, there, there, there were actually, um, you know, going to the early days of impeachment when it was first used, there were a number of Reconstruction era impeachments uh, in the South when you had some Republican governors that were elected there in the Democratic legislatures. So that ties in pretty well with what we were seeing in Reconstruction at the national level when you had the very first presidential impeachment with Andrew Johnson. 
Yeah, very interesting. Let's let's go let's go to that that first uh, impeachment uh, that took place in Kansas. This was Kansas Governor uh, Charles L. Robinson, who was a Republican uh, at the time. Can you talk about that story? I know this was in the 1860s when this occurred. Kansas was uh, well an interesting place. Obviously, this is right in the middle of uh, the Civil War. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And uh, this this came this came after. I mean, of course, there was bleeding Kansas and so forth that, that led up to this. But um, on on some level, they they did they did uh, find activities that, that he was involved in. But uh, um, it, it was largely a uh, they were going after him in this case, and 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 they did get him. And and that's been the case, I think, with a lot of these governors uh, throughout history that there was. Um, oftentimes they were guilty, but at the same time, they made some enemies along the way, and it was very convenient to to go after these people. And I think that's, that's similar to what we've seen at the during presidential impeachments. Yeah, that definitely seems to be a theme that runs throughout. There were certainly a number of governors who have committed, certainly I would say, high crimes in office. Uh, but others, there's definitely seems to be a gray area where it just seems to be that uh, there may have been crimes that have taken place, or it's just that the legislature really had an issue with the governor, either that he was a different party or there were some uh, personal squabbles and battles going on. That definitely seems to be a case. I think it was interesting in the, in the case of Nebraska that just after they had their first governor impeached, they actually had the second not too long after in 18. 18- 67, I think it was, yeah, David Butler, right. another Republican, right. uh, impeached again. It's like uh, it's like the state said, well, we, did, we impeached one. Why, why don't we just try it again? Yeah, yeah. And uh, th- th- that's, that's been the case. Uh, you've had uh, Nebraska, like you mentioned, uh, Oklahoma uh, in the 1920s. They impeached two, pretty much two governors in a row. Uh, they were uh, Henry Johnston. Um, he was impeached and removed from office. Uh, for general incompetence, that that was uh that was towards towards the later end of the decade of the 1920s. Uh, before that, um, you had John Walton, and he was impeached for a uh, actually what most of us would think is a good thing. He was uh, tough on the Ku Klux Klan, and the Ku Klux Klan was very powerful in the Democratic Party uh, during the 1920s, and um, when he but but they were just going uh, roughshod, um, very violent. Of course, you had the Tulsa massacre during that time, and uh, he he at one point uh, sent law enforcement after them, uh, rounding people up. At and at one point he declared martial law in Tulsa and had a military trials, and uh, that's when the legislature, who many who were beholden to the Klan or were elected because of the Klan. Uh, decided to impeach him, and and that's a that's a pretty I I think nefarious tale when when you look back at things. Yeah, pretty wild. Oklahoma definitely a lot of racial tension uh, in the 1920s. Uh, what's amazing, of course, is they went after second governor Henry Johnson right. in the late 20s. But uh, it, it seems maybe there I guess that the justification was general incompetence. But uh, things got pretty wild when it seems like he actually called out the National Guard to shut down the <laughs> legislature. Right. Can you talk right. about that? Yes, yes. Uh, right. Uh, uh, yeah, to start with, I think uh, this general incompetence, they said he was allowing his secretary to do too much, which uh, which I 
I think that seemed like they were maybe looking for a pretext to start with. Um, of course, I mean, we we often talk about how such and such governor or president in some ways might be relying too much on staff. In some ways you, you hear people say that about President Biden today. Uh, but uh, but in, in this case, yeah, uh, they impeached him twice. Uh, the second time there was a viable chance at conviction, and that's when the, uh, Johnston actually called up the National Guard in the state to surround the Capitol to try to keep them from coming in. He waited it out. That didn't look very good. <laughs> Bad optics, <laughs> I think. I, and I, th- I think uh, if there wasn't an impeachable offense before that, there probably was after that. So, um, yeah, and, and they ended up removing him uh, from office. One thing, uh, we, we did talk about Nebraska, Oklahoma had multiple impeachments. Um, you did have some of those, uh, again, those Reconstruction era impeachments in the state of Louisiana, but also going into um, the 30s, you had Huey Long, who was, uh, who was a, just synonymous with corruption in Louisiana. Uh, and he was among those. Uh, he survived impeachment. Uh, and it was a sort, sort of the tale here. Um, comes He was involved in all sorts of corruption. Among the charges where he was bribing legislators um, and he was, you know, bullying, cajoling in some cases. But he, he ended up making a lot of enemies. But um, the, the story behind the story is that... Um, he apparently blackmailed or, 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 or scared a lot of U.S. senators into saying that we will not vote under any circumstances uh, to remove him from office. And af- after, his, after Long's impeachment, they put this letter forward saying that they won't vote for impeachment or not for conviction, not to remove him from office. And at that point, uh, it, there was a determination by the Senate leadership that a Trial would be pointless if there's zero chance. Uh, and so they didn't even have a trial. And so he just stood as being impeached. Now, one might argue it would have been better to at least have your record acquitted <laughs> as opposed to just, you know, as we saw Donald Trump's uh, boasted about being the most acquitted president ever. Uh, <laughs> Huey Long didn't even want to bother with that. But Long, he he's really legendary and, and uh, a list of corruption and office wouldn't really be complete without pointing to Huey Long, I don't think. Yeah, it almost goes with uh, Longism. When people think about it, they certainly think of uh, his populism, a little bit of corruption, and certainly his popularity there in Louisiana, too. I mean, he he was definitely a popular and populist figure. I don't think he necessarily used the word socialist, but uh, he's— his policy was called share the wealth, and basically it was a just large redistribution of schema. So he was also in a way like Bernie Sanders would would be today, but uh, but but you know, but really very very corrupt and ran a political machine. The impeachment, by the way, didn't hurt him politically. He went on to be elected to the U.S. Senate. Yeah, it's very interesting in the case of Louisiana and a few other states. It seems that. Corruption, to a certain extent, was so endemic. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, there was another Louisiana governor, I believe, in the late 19th century who was also impeached. I think he also made made your list. It seems to be that 
you know, no matter who it is from that time period, there's some accusation of corruption or misuse of office. Long, of course, seems to be the best at it, if you can call it the best. <laughs> yeah. um, but it seems like some, some states, some legislatures and governor's offices uh, in certain states, uh, it seems like the corruption is really endemic and that a lot of these battles are simply political, you know, which which corrupt guy uh, has, you know, crossed the wrong people in the party and ends up being impeached. But j the choices for the people are mostly just a, a series of corrupt guys. Isn't that right? Yeah, um, for, for, for the most part, I mean, I, I, I think we've uh, there have been some political prosecutions and um, impeachment, whether it's at the federal or the state level, is generally both a legal and a political process. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to get necessarily in all 15 of these. I, I want to highlight these, but, uh, and I, I do encourage folks to please read the, uh, story and, and see the list with some more in depth on, um, dailysignal.com. But you talk about a state where there is a high tolerance for corruption, that would probably be Illinois too, which, uh, the most <laughs> recent, uh, governor where he was impeached and removed from office, and, and that was uh, Rod Blagojevich. Of course, he was in the news just last year. He was commuted by President Trump, his sentence. Uh, he got a fairly lengthy sentence and, and served out much of it. So, um, uh, But, yeah, he, he was uh, primarily—he he had a number, actually, of um, schemes going on, various pay-for-play schemes— um, the one that really, really stood out was uh, he wanted to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. <laughs> and uh, it, his, his, the famous quote from that was a uh, – well, the, the FBI actually had him on, a, on, a, on a, a tape saying a Senate seat is a valuable thing. And I'm leaving a word out there uh, – it's a valuable thing, and you can't just give it away. And and so he he was looking for for the highest bidder on that type thing, and and so uh, that that is something that uh, he was just a very colorful character, and I think he ended up um, being sort of arrogant, being very similar to Andrew Cuomo in a sense that he was uh, he just made enemies, rubbed people the wrong way. And uh, once he got in trouble, it was sort of easy for people, even within his own party, to want to give him the boot because he was impeached. And then it was a unanimous vote in the Senate to remove him from office. Yeah, that, that, that really is incredible. I mean, it shows you kind of the, the depth of what he had done and how bad it looked uh, for the entire, well, it looked bad for the Democrat Party. Is yeah. That, right. You know, this guy is out of control. He's... I mean, if you want to talk about clear case of high crimes and misdemeanors in office trying to sell a Senate seat, uh, it's a pretty clear-cut case. Um, and I think it looked really bad probably for Democrat Party, both on the statewide level, but also the national level where he became – I mean, this was a really famous case. I mean, I think mm -hmm. everybody in, the, in America, you know, this was on the news constantly, especially right. when President Barack Obama was first coming into office, and he was kind of like this guy who was saying, oh, you know, I'm going to – as many do saying that he's going to drain the swamp, that he's going to be something different. And here's the state that he comes from. And you have possibly the most corrupt governor in America uh, is certainly quite something. Right. Uh, it seems yeah. amazing that, yeah, and it, you know, that, 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 that was one of the big things. I mean, it was directly connected to this incoming president, which was 
sort of the shocking aspect of it. Certainly. What's amazing about Bogdanovich is he actually ended up, you know, being convicted on these counts. And something I, I that you wrote about in your story is that, you know, he wasn't even the first governor uh, of Illinois to <laughs> serve time in jail. That there had actually been four governors right. uh, that had had gone to jail from the state of Illinois, which I, I mean, that the percentage wise, if you think about the number of governors in their history. Uh, that seems kind of high. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, and I believe uh, Bogoyevich's immediate predecessor, uh, a Republican governor in that case, uh, had gone to prison. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, like like I said, it's uh, it's it's pretty high uh, tolerance. People, there has been almost an expectation, sort of a an embarrassment, I think, for some people in Illinois and maybe Louisiana. New Jersey too. I mean, I think there's been a lot of corruption there, but um, the, I mean, those are states where people just um, there, there, there. There's almost people have gotten used to it to some degree. Maybe some people even think it's enduring. Just <laughs> <laughs> a, a trademark. It's for sure. So, yeah. in your assessment, having gone through all of these various impeachments in American history, um. What do you think is ultimately the way these guys get impeached? Is it just being in a bad spot politically? Is it the the, the higher the crime, the more likely to be impeached? Or is it some combination? What what ultimately seems to be the trigger where a, a legislature not only impeaches but removes a, a governor from office? What do you think, Fred? Well, uh, something I wrote about in my book, Abuse of Power, which was about the first Trump impeachment, uh, uh, I, I wrote that it was applicable to almost all the past impeachments at the presidential level and to some degree um, with the one lone uh, impeachment of a Supreme Court justice and uh, lower officers, even governors. Uh, and, and that is the happens in the midst of sort of a political culture war. Um, and or when when or in some cases when the governor is, just makes some really strong enemies, and I, I, I think if you look at the at the presidential level, you had sort of a culture war, post Civil War with Johnson. You had this Nixon came during the upheaval, at late '60s, early '70s, and Clinton sort of a, a moral issues there, and then Donald Trump, uh, naming the presidents there, but uh, also with. Uh, with these guys, it, there, there was a, you know, more recently with Cuomo, it was the uh, Me Too movement, I think, ended up finally upending him. Um, but also uh, also coming out of the COVID issues as well. But um, with Blago, I think he just rubbed too many people the wrong way. Uh, I think uh, Huey Long made enemies. It's it's just it's just largely if, if, if a governor can make – too many enemies, then they're gone. If if they have a strong coalition, then they um, then they can hold on, and that's the same with a president too. Um, one thing I think is very interesting, and if you want to contrast um, Andrew Cuomo and his near impeachment with uh, Donald Trump and his two impeachments, I, I think you have uh, it's a big irony that the. Cuomo, who's the ultimate political insider, came from a political family, basically inherited his uh, the governor's office in some sense, 
had no political base to speak of uh, when he got in trouble. Uh, he, he just alienated so many people. Uh, whereas Trump, on the other end, uh, came into office uh, as the ultimate political outsider, had sort of, you know, when he won in 2016, he had half the Republican Party against him, at the certainly at the establishment level, at the congressional level. People were very skeptical of him. Uh, over time, he ended up being more conservative than a lot of people anticipated. He ended up working better and and enacting some conservative policies that a lot of people didn't anticipate uh, who, who were in Congress. And um, and also, I think there was a counter reaction from Republicans to the sort of hair on fire um, attitude of Trump's enemies. And, and that contributed to a coalition. So Trump actually, the ultimate political outsider, had a solid political coalition when Democrats came after him with impeachment. Uh, whereas the ultimate political insider, Cuomo, had no coalition behind him uh, left to defend him. Well, that, that's very interesting, Fred, and it speaks to how impeachment is both uh, a criminal matter and a, a political matter. It's Those two things are definitely wrapped together as far as how impeachment even be, gets brought up and what the ultimate resolution behind it is. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that they tend to be more common in more culturally fraught times where mm. uh, there are these sharp divides uh, in the American population and certainly on the state level uh, where some guys can get the boot uh, because of those very powerful forces. So a very interesting piece, Fred. I, I encourage listeners uh, to read through it and read through all these stories. I think some of them are absolutely incredible, shows the uh, – how many colorful characters are in American history, how nothing new is under the sun. And uh, again, it's very much well worth a read. Thanks, Fred. Yeah, thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.